The following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Will Harris, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for Friday, April 16th, 2021. My name is Justin Robert Young. We've got a hell of a show here for you today. I'm going to talk a little bit about bias. We've got a little bit more of an esoteric episode for you. We got news analysis at, at, at the back part. But I wanted to take the beginning of the program and talk a little bit about what differentiates this show from others on the political landscape. Because I think that in part, I hope it comes through inherently. But every once in a while, and especially now that we're in a period where, you know, the the crises are a little bit fewer and far between than they were during the pandemic plus the 2020 election. And we got a lot of viewers and listeners from it. I figured it would be good to just kind of like reassess where this show is, specifically on the question of bias, which I inherently get a lot of feedback on. Speaking of feedback, we got a mailbag, including a correction on my Johnson and Johnson FDA pause screed. Will it change my mind? Wait to see. And your friend, my friend, the world's friend, Andrew Heaton joins the program. He's going to talk about the research that he's done on the Georgia voting law. Oh, yeah. If you're curious to know uh, uh, Heaton's perspective on it, you're going to hear it later in this episode. And I think it's going to surprise some people. But... I... Justin Robert Young have a bias on this show. We all have biases. The way we see the world is shaped by our upbringing, by our friends, by our feedback. And that's before we even get into incentives, ways to make money or gain credibility, maybe even a little bit of fame and everything that comes along with that. All of these things, every single one of them, shape our bias. Which, when you think of it, is just a version of how we wish the world would be. That's a little bit of a nicer way to think of it, right? I'm not biased. 
if I wrote this simulation, this is how it would go. I mean, I guess it's nice until you start to think about what people have biases toward. And then you realize that maybe some people are <laughs> pretty sick puppies. In political media, bias is a, if not the dominant selling point. You don't listen to conservative shows. You listen to Ben Shapiro. You don't listen to a liberal show. You listen to Rachel Maddow. The bias of these performers is baked in to the point where you don't need to have it spelled out. It's harmonious. Think about that. Every time that you listen to one of those programs, they don't say, welcome here for the number one clearinghouse of liberal thought. But yet we know what they are. My personal political opinion is something that I get asked questions about, but not as much as you'd think. More often, I, I tend to get guesses, roundabout guesses on what my personal beliefs are, what my voting patterns are. They usually come in the form of, I assume you're center-right or left or blah, blah, blah. It's usually in an email. More often, listeners thank me for keeping my opinions as separated as possible from the rest of the content. And yet, there is indeed a bias to this show. In fact, it's a bias that I hope becomes as intertwined with my name, Justin Robert Young, as conservatism is with Shapiro and liberalism is with Maddow. I have a bias toward being correct. And I think that in the world of political analysis, this is novel. Because as much lip service as partisan media outlets put toward the idea that they are morally right, they are often rewarded for skirting around the idea that they will be able to correctly predict or guess or explain why something is going to happen. Think about it. Being correct is not a prerequisite to political media. In fact, it's a liability. When candidates are behind, party pundits on radio, television, and newspaper and on the internet will lie to you and say the polls are wrong and they're going to win. Why? Isn't it their job to tell you what's going to, going to happen? No. Their job is to make you feel good about your biases. And the people that are good at it, whoo, they're great. It's a talent. It is. Sometimes I think it would be easy to replicate such a talent. Just, you know, pick a side and uh, come up with the most outlandish takes that you can. Try to get attention. Skewer the same targets. Because it seems, you know, in, in, in my viewing of this world, of this political world, there is a boundless appetite 
for skewering of certain targets. Decades we go, and people just make the same jokes about the same people and get escalating levels of fame, money, and credibility. But the further I get down this road, the more I appreciate that craft, being a partisan performer, being able to stay on message like that, adjust your own public persona to the fickle world of politics, stay in lanes carved out for you and be nimble enough to jump to another one when the time comes. That's a flexibility I don't have. The partisan lanes are the path of least resistance. And the rewarding currency doesn't even have to be big money or a career. You know, take a look at streaming platforms like Twitch. The most popular political streamers are locked into an ideology. They have their favorites. They have their villains. The politics are more radical than television. The liberals are socialists and the conservatives are MAGA populists. But the dance moves are the same. Pick a party, explain why they are morally correct. And if you can cite some stats, great. But more of a priority is put on demolishing the opposition, which is easy because moral arguments are personal and the audience is self-selecting. Political Twitch streams reach thousands of concurrents on the high end. The money for some can be a career, but for others, it's a few hundred, maybe a thousand, maybe two a month. Rent money, good money, good money for talking about things. Not exactly an empire. With politics, 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 I've made a living that I am proud of. And I believe it's because you, you listening, have noticed what I'm talking about. Whether or not you've been able to articulate it and spell it out, I believe that you are attracted to this because it is different. Because it is biased toward being correct. I genuinely want to be correct. When I'm wrong, I actively and publicly seek to correct myself. I welcome feedback that can sway my opinion. I hope desperately that I am right enough times that you can trust me. I hope that keeps up enough for you to repeat my takes. And if I'm really lucky, if I am truly firing on all cylinders, I hope that that particular take is right. So your friends and family tell you that you were right. That, friends, that is my. Bias. They asked me, did I go deep in my bag? And I tell them, I showed it. You can email the show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Jerry writes, oh, I knew I was going to get somebody. 
you, you can't go and shred the FDA and the CDC from your closet without somebody correcting you and pointing out that indeed you are not a doctor, but rather just a barking dog on the internet. Jerry's the guy who did it. Blood clotting in the brain, which is where all six of the clots being recorded uh, by the Johnson & Johnson vaccine were located are slightly different than blood clots in the legs and lungs that are associated with birth control. This is a lot more complex than six blood clots. The androvenous vector vaccines, uh, those for COVID and others for past illnesses, have aggregate data that increase the risk of cerebral venous, uh, venous sinus, one of the primary veins that drains the brain thrombosis. The primary issue is that we have no idea how many patients are developing asymptomatic clots in the veins of the brain, and more study needs to be done, which is complex because it requires a CT or MRI scan of the head. That's not to say that I don't understand the frustration. It's just a lot more complex than it looks on the surface, like everything else during the pandemic and medicine in general. So here's my thing, Jerry. If there is asymptomatic clots in the brain, isn't this something... Well, let, let me phrase it like this. Is the horse out of the barn on this vaccine? We know it works against COVID. We know that literally the one in a million that hurt people is such a small statistical number based on the trials we have granted it uh, emergency authority because we're pretty sure it's safe by the numbers it is safe is what we want to do here which is study this phenomenon further something that either can happen while the vaccine is still in circulation therefore demonstrating what the government is saying is that yes it is safe and yes we need to investigate this or at the very least saying okay if you're a woman under a certain age and or you're taking birth control i guess you would be and you're taking birth control then we're going to encourage you to take or we're only going to allow you to take the moderna shot or the pfizer shot and if you have a J&J shot appointment, then we're going to reschedule you. Can you do what you are suggesting needs to be done without totally undermining the credibility of the vaccine? Because I do believe that we have totally undermined the credibility of the vaccine now. You can't unring this bell. So that that's my thought, Jerry. Eric writes, when you lived in California, you seemed to bring up California politics a lot. I wondered if it was because California has a lot going on or if it's because you live there. Then at the end of the latest episode, you brought up Texas voting and I can't help. But uh, but it feels like you saying that all politics is local. Are we going to hear about more Texas political stories on PX3? I probably put more weight on California stories when I lived there because I could justify it by saying like, all right, 
Gavin Newsom going to French Laundry became a national story. Gavin Newsom, along with Cuomo, became national figures. The fact that he's facing a recall is a national story. But I probably leaned more on that side than I would have otherwise. I don't know if 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 Texas will become my new fascination. I would suspect the the chances are higher. Y- you will know that I have gone fully in the bag for covering Texas politics if if and when I start covering the the homelessness camping ban vote that is happening in a couple weeks in Austin, which I guess I just did. So I answered my own question. Mattia writes. In episode 166, you talked about how uh, newspapers old guard did not use their money to pivot to the Internet era, and now they are in bad financial shape. Well, here in Chicago, the Tribune, a.k.a. the Chicago Tribune, did jump on the dot-com bubble with two feet. I couldn't find an article listing all the properties they own, but early on, they owned Cars.com, CareerBuilder, I believe a classified website, and more. However, I don't work for the company, so I can't say what policies were involved that might have neutered their online ventures for the sake of the then golden goose of the print newspaper. I do know that they hired a lot of IT people in Chicago, and for a while it looked like they were successfully diversifying online. The instability with Tribune Media and the constant churn of the owners likely didn't help. So I gotta look, uh, uh, I gotta look into this, um... But that's fascinating because that you know I worked for Tribune Papers. For the only two papers I worked for were the Allentown Morning Call and the South Florida Sun Sentinel, both of which were Tribune media companies. Uh, and I grew up reading the Sun Sentinel. That was my local paper. So you know, I, I know for sure I didn't get the sense that they were trying to fully integrate their online things while I was involved with that company on whatever minor level I was involved. Larry from a Southern border state writes, I understand how easy it is to make fun of Mike Lindell, but I am not sure most of your readers know the backstory of how the left has tried to destroy his company because he supports Trump. Even in the interview, Dave acknowledges that after he points out the issues that he had called Mike about, the company website had been corrected within hours. I do not see that happening with the current government on humanitarian issues. I find it interesting that you find humor in destroying American companies, but have ignored the fact that the left cares more about people of other countries than its own citizens. Just like an alcoholic that will say that they're not an alcoholic because they acknowledge their alcoholism, your acknowledgement that there is a problem on the border does not mean that you disagree with the current political status quo on the crisis. I know you're tired of my immigration rants, but it points out the bigger issue of our politics today. One side is for the people, the other side is for the U.S. You cannot be for one before you get your house in order on the other. Larry, that email went places. Let's uh, uh, break it down into the pieces. Won't, uh, why don't we? Lindell. Lindell's a character. Man, you can't listen to that 30-minute conversation and, and not understand that Mike Lindell is a, a, you know, he is his own orbit, right? He is his own universe. He is a singularly unique figure. Uh, uh, I would encourage people to read about him, to be, to be, Fully honest, uh, it is not every day that uh, somebody is addicted to crack 
and talks about it openly. A lot of people say that they are uh, uh, involved with other substances and, and that they got better because of it. Not a lot of people about crack. Mike Lindell, open about his crack addiction uh, and talks about it all the time. I think he still does public speaking about it. He has become a political figure. And with the war zone of uh, uh, politics comes shrapnel. I don't doubt that people on the left are trying to destroy his business. Uh, it does not surprise me. I didn't necessarily think that I needed to point it out, but we can point it out now. Indeed, Mike Lindell, as somebody that has entered himself into the fray as a personality into the world of politics, has had probably, uh, has had opponents try to crush him. I suspect he has also had a lot of uh, Trump fans want to reward him because he is who he is and he is sticking up for stuff. I don't know what the net benefit or uh, uh, a loss is there. I suspect probably only Mike Lindell knows. Do I find humor in destroying American companies? No, I don't find humor in that. I find humor in Mike Lindell because I don't think you can listen to that half hour phone call where he calls and says, I'm going to sue you, turn over all your sources, or you're going to get sued. And then Dave points out exactly what he's talking about. And Mike Lindell is then thanking Dave and saying, thank you for bringing this to my opinion. You might have saved my business. And then it ends with him saying, I'm going to sue you, turn over your sources. Like, that's humorous. That's that's funny. That is ABA. That is that is poetry, right? Like, th th there's, there is something classic to that. So I find humor in Mike Lindell. I don't find humor in the destruction of American companies. Now, I don't quite see how me finding humor in Mike Lindell equates to me not saying what I think, you know, is happening on the border. Like I said at the beginning of this program, uh, I, I am biased toward trying to be correct on things. And so I have correctly said that Joe Biden's policies on the border are an increasing embarrassment to his presidency, that it is a humanitarian crisis, and he is paying a political price for it. I have continually said on this program that I still think that there is more to come on that. If you want to press me on this specifically, I think that we have an absolute disaster at the border. I think we've had an absolute disaster at the border for decades. I think that the decisions that we make right now in terms of dealing with people crossing the border is, you know, you can make an argument whether or not it's a Band-Aid or a tourniquet, but it is not actively solving the major problem that we have. And that is that we have a totally broken immigration system. And we don't have a lot of political will to really solve it. That's my perspective on it. So whether or not that neatly fits in with 
me clicking into an ideology, that remains to be seen. I will continue to say, like I pointed out at the beginning, that I believe this is a problem. I believe that that what Joe Biden has done at the border is something that he will pay a price for because I, you know, I'm 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 not going to say humor uh, humorously, but in his effort to not be Trump, he has put exponentially more children in cages. I think that that is a problem for anybody who takes that issue seriously. I think that that is a massive liability for his presidency. Don writes, I think the reason why so many openly and non-openly uh, uh, people prioritize the Second Amendment is that ultimately all of our rights, including the Second Amendment, are not real. We pretend these things are true because it's useful to do so. In the way that it's sometimes useful to imagine a horse and an elephant on a seesaw are point masses or that pulleys are frictionless, or that a photon is a particle, or that a photon is a wave. The boundaries agreed upon between individuals or groups are imaginary and are easily broken by single-party consent. I've read that email, not only because it is a heady, brutalist, esoteric musing on the Second Amendment, but also because I wanted to give you guys something that you could play back because this is our last episode before 420. If you want to email this show, please go ahead and do it at theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Again, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Hey. You want to show your support for this show? You can head on over to politicsmerch.com. Pick up a logo t-shirt for PX3. How about a logo t-shirt for the first season of Raise the Dead covering the 1960 election? How about for the second season covering the 1964 election? You want to show support for my mom? I do. That's why I bought a Don't Blame Me, I Voted for Gloria t-shirt. Or you can go ahead and grab an All Power is Future Power shirt. I'm doing this read because there is a new shirt coming out. In fact, it might even be out by the time that you're hearing this. It might be listed there. Can't tell you what it is. It involves certain shots resulting in certain other shots. You want to see if it's live? There's only one place you should go, and that is politicsmerch.com. Georgia's new voting law has been roundly criticized as racist voter suppression. Our next guest has done a ton of research into not only that law, but similar bills in Texas and other states. Please welcome back to the show the host of The Political Orphanage, Andrew Heaton. Welcome to the show, Andrew. 
Thank you for having me back. You did a great, great episode on your Patreon, and it's on a subject that I really haven't tackled all that much because we've been in, in, in the midst of a bunch of other stuff. And through my move, I I didn't want to half uh, uh, dissect it. And and I'm, I'm now going to definitely have to dissect it by having you do my work for me. And that right. is the new voting bills that are being passed throughout the country and specifically the one that has gotten the most amount of reaction in Georgia. So let's start at the beginning. Okay. What what was your point of view when you started researching this topic? What was the first thing that stuck out to you? I so I came into it assuming that I was going to join the chorus of voices saying Republicans are trying to steal elections by voter suppression and uh, inveighing against the evil Republicans for doing so. That is where I came in. Um, I'd already done a media hit on Earwolf. I was on one of their programs about a month ago. Then they brought up the water bottle thing of, of the, the the Georgia law forbids people to pass water out in lines. And, you know, Heaton, what do you think about this? I hadn't researched the bill yet, but I, I, I thought and still think the Republican Party tried to steal the 2020 election and his... Uh, engaged in gerrymandering with glee over the last 10 years. So I don't think they're operating in good faith and thought, you know, okay, knowing that they're apparently trying to have people dehydrated and not vote. And so that that's where I came in from and, and was kind of what got me interested in the subject, at least with the, the water thing, what kept throwing me off was I couldn't find very many out. I mean, I ultimately did find outlets that would explain where that was, Hats off to the Washington Post, which actually explained it. But so many outlets would just say this horrible bill, it's voter suppression. They won't even let people pass out water. And I I don't have a degree from Syracuse in journalism, but I, <laughs> but I feel like if I did, I would at least contact the other side of a story and go, hey, what's your bullshit pretext, uh, 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 pretext for this? Like, what are you claiming you're trying to do? Like, at least ask what they're attempting to do. And I couldn't even find that. And that got me intrigued and made me want to research it more. So just what even the reason why this would be a thing, like why water bottles? Why, why, why not everybody has to run the hundred yard dash and jump hurdles before they hit a button? Right. Well, yeah, just like I, if you were to pick some other topic, like let's say for some reason that um, during the Trump years, Democrats are stopping the wall specifically in this one notch between El Paso and Montgomery, Texas, and they they they're absolutely halting that wall. And there's all this Republican media talking about how the Democrats want illegal immigrants to waltz in across the border, and like they're they're anti-American. Like you would need to do basic due diligence of like, hey, Democrats, why that one chunk? Again, this is hypothetical, but maybe they would go like, well, that chunk actually is not accessible by human beings because there's a valley. It, it has a natural border there, but it does. We do need to have that corridor there for wildlife. There might be a reason for it, or it might be it might be a dumb thing. It might like it might clearly be that well, uh, we 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 we've been bought off by a Mexican cartel, but we're going to claim that it's X, Y, and Z. Yeah, uh, and so, but you need to at least uh, to to know what's happening. You do you need to know what both sides are claiming, even if you think one is claiming it in bad faith. You you need to know what's going on, otherwise you risk diluting yourself and you risk. Uh, participating in a narrative within an echo chamber rather than actually knowing the situation. Well, and it's also how you tell what's bad faith, right? <laughs> like, like it, 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 it's, it's how you, it's how you find out like, like where people's perspective is. 
Right. Well, and that's like that's the other thing too is that so so I uh, I I actually we I called you I think last Thursday or Friday and yeah. was was having like my like internal crisis moment of like I don't know how to do this. I'm so overwhelmed by this because I thought that the story was going to be Heaton reading through litany of Republican uh, aggressions and yeah. documenting them and giving a very moralistic sermon on why the Republicans are bad to do this thing. What I found was there is a ton of gray. There aren't a lot of black hats or white hats in these voter laws that are happening in Georgia, Texas, and NHR1 from the Democrats in the House. There's a lot of gray hats, and there's a lot of legislation that is maybe 80% good and needed and 20% trying to screw over the other party. There's a lot of that kind of thing happening, and it was difficult for me to come up with a narrative on it. And uh, and, and you and I had spoken about that. And I, you bring up a good point about finding out those good things uh, or the good faith things because those are there. There are elements of these bills that are needed. And I, because I'm not watching this, this meat being you know, ground into sausage, I don't know who the good players and the, the bad players are in it. There are clearly both. And so as with Georgia, there are elements to the, the, the Georgia voting bill that I think are good. Uh, that that are are necessary. Like here's a, a great example of something in the Georgia voting bill that I think they should have done a long time ago, and yeah. the 2020 revealed as a stress test. Uh, from now on, in the state of Georgia, if a line at a polling precinct exceeds an hour, the polling precinct is supposed to split into two new precincts, or to bring in workers from other counties to alleviate that congestion. Uh, they've also there's all sorts of um, of organizational restructuring. Like previously, you couldn't bring in poll precinct workers from counties they didn't live in. They've now relaxed that to where you can bring in poll workers from adjacent counties. That's in order to alleviate this congestion because the bill is trying to stop very long lines from happening, which does lead to voter suppression and is bad for people. Right? It's like that's a good example of something that like yeah that makes sense. Then there were other elements of the bill. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before before we get past that. Yeah. There was something that I found really interesting in in this entire conversation and you just hit on it. And that is the idea that we are creating our opinions at least in part by way of meme. Like both the water bottle thing and what you just described with long lines of polling places are things that we have now seen, at least in the midterm elections and the the 2020 presidential uh, uh, year elections, as the sign of voter suppression. It is like the yeah. mascot. It is the Mickey Mouse of, uh, of, of voter suppression, specifically in black and brown communities. This is a, a thing that as sure as the sun comes out on election day, you're going to see somewhere in, in some county, look at this. A, a splash mountain length line that is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And they had, you know, two voting machines just went out or they don't have enough people to, to go uh, uh, run them, blah, blah, blah. Right. There's always a reason, but the line is the thing. And both what you just described, which sounds like an actual solution to that. And the water bottle thing is predicated. I would say specifically the water bottle thing is predicated on the idea that we now know as fact that these lines happen. And I'm not saying they don't. It just is fascinating to me how you can you can just say in shorthand, they won't let them pass out water bottles. And right. in a vacuum, if you were just an alien, 
you'd be like, oh, okay, well, do, yeah, well, 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 no, 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 you wouldn't even know. It's like, well, do they also not let them pass out refrigerators or or uh, uh, bumper cars or anything? Like water bottles doesn't make sense unless you have the preamble of yeah. I've seen these lines on Twitter, and that's why it is it, worsening voter suppression. Twi- Twitter is the worst because I I did a lengthy amount of research for that episode. I, I probably read maybe 30 to 40 different articles from a lot of different publications. I, I wanted to, I wanted to get perspectives from everybody. So I'm going to mother Jones. I'm going to national review. I'm going to the guard or the guardian. I'm going to, um, uh, op-eds and, and reason. Like I, I was all over the board, uh, Twitter in particular, because Twitter, there is zero journalistic integrity. It's not a journalism outfit. Like you, you'd see head, no. like not headlines. You'd see tweets that are like Republicans literally want black people to dehydrate and die if they vote. Like, like that was yeah. the take. And if that is the starting position that you have and you're like, oh, Republicans are trying to dehydrate black voters so they die. And then you see that, then it all kind of fits into that narrative. And that's the other thing that I found so disheartening about this. For, for anybody listening that's unfamiliar with me, I, I'm not carrying water for the Republicans. I think the Republicans are routinely and engaging. Specific, specifically, not in water bottles. Yes, not in water bottles for sure. So I'm not like I gerrymandering 2020. Like I frequently criticize Republicans. Um, but I also looked at this and went, okay, in this equation where there are good good legislative things happening and there are bad legislative things happening, both parties have sort of entered this phase where all reactions are at a 10. Everything that happens is presumed evil and our description of it is meant to exacerbate fear and anger at all times so that it's very difficult to cut through and go, okay, this bit, like originally what the Republicans were trying to do in Georgia, or at least some of the Republicans were trying to do, is they wanted to have a bill where uh, no excuse voting would be restricted to people age 75 and up. Well, I know. What is what is, my, what is no excuse voting for the record? No excuse voting is where you just say, I, I don't want to have to go to the polls. I'd like to vote early by mail. Uh, and, and I don't have to provide you a reason. So in some states, a lot of states, you have to say, I am going to be out of town. And so I need you to send me this in advance so that I'm able to vote. Georgia yeah. has, has gone. You don't even need to do that. You just let us know that you don't want to vote in the polls. That's no excuse voting. The original legislation had said, uh, we're going to restrict this to people age 75 and up. Well, in, in, in the uh, most recent research we have, people that were 65 and under in Georgia in the 2020 election that voted by mail were more likely to be Democrat. People that voted 75 and up by mail in Georgia in the last election were much more likely to be Republicans. So it was kind of like age gerrymandering. So that stuff is afoot. Republicans were yeah. trying to to put their thumb on the scale of, of justice, at least in terms of voting. That's there. But there are these other things like that didn't get into the final bill, by the way, that didn't happen. And there are other elements that did get in that were good. And it's difficult because both sides are now it's weird. Both sides are claiming that democracy is a sham. Like it's and I I realized that (laughs) I realized that that sounds odd to say about the Democrats because the Democrats have been very good about calling out uh, 2020 and this ridiculous idea that. There was massive wide-scale voter fraud. There's no evidence of that. It's a very big accusation to make with no evidence of that. It was thrown out by the courts left and right. Like, it's it's nonsense, right? But then again, like, four years before that, the Democrats were saying that Russia had rigged the election and— Two uh, years! In, two years, two years yeah. in Georgia! No, 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 no. In yeah, Georgia, Abrams, specifically. Yeah. Stacey Abrams— uh, 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 made her, you know, she refused to concede for weeks. You know, she, she was very Trumpian in, in, in her, 
uh, uh, position that this had been stolen from her mm-hmm. and that and that this was wide scale voter fraud by way or not voter fraud, voter suppression. So voter it suppression. was it was it was an illegitimate election because of voter suppression. So it's like, you know, this in Georgia specifically and with these players, Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams, even more specifically, this has been a a a, a, a major issue that has already been established. Yeah, and it's it's disconcerting to me in that uh, I would like for there to be free, open, fair elections where everybody has access that should be voting. Like, that's the goal. Uh, but you need to have trust in elections. And both sides are actively undermining that trust pretty much every chance they get at this point, where um, if, we can, if we can be getting a more robust voter drive and we can be fundraising by demonizing the other side and saying that they stole the 2020 election, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, we, we need to, whatever Giuliani was saying, great example of that kind of crap. But it's also like with, with the Democrats, kind of the, the basic premise that the only reason Republicans are ever winning at all is because of voter suppression. Everybody's in the process now of undermining the legitimacy of democracy. And the, the problem that, that has not just in terms of being caustic to public trust in elections, which you need to have in a democracy, is that it makes it really difficult for me to actually see when malfeasance is happening. Because it is. To be very clear on this, Republicans are engaging in this stuff. It's not like that's an illusion. The problem is that there are also good Republican measures that are in. And and it's difficult and becoming more difficult to be able to assess these things and say, that is needed legislation to deal with an actual problem. It's not partisan. That is clearly partisan meddling to try and interfere with the outcome of elections. And it's becoming difficult to get through that noise. Here's the other element of this that I you know, kind of have had in the back of my head is regardless of who controls your state house, the pandemic brought about a lot of very specific challenges to politics and voting. You in, in, in a public health crisis where you don't want a lot of people gathering together, specifically indoors, that you have to have some element of allowance for that. And regardless of of whether or not your state had fought against expanding mail-in voting or drop boxes or anything, those measures were taken during the pandemic, which leads to the rubber band snapping the other direction as we are uh, emerging from the pandemic that like someone's got to decide how many of these things we keep and how many of these things we go back to the way things were before. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of these voting bills, I I feel like that's an element that's kind of been lost in our public discourse that there had to be some kind of reckoning, even if the reckoning was just saying, hey, things worked. Let's keep doing it this way. There has to be an emergence out of emergency powers and into law, right? Yeah. I mean, like Georgia is a good example of that. Georgia did not have voting drop boxes prior to the, the pandemic. That wasn't a part of the regular Georgia election process. Um, they they did that because of the pandemic and seem to be keeping it, although they have tinkered with it where there's this weird like I, I can't remember the specifics, but there's X amount of Dropbox per county and that kind of thing, which might be malfeasance. I don't know. In any event, it's not like Dropboxes were a longstanding practice and they are now being changed. That is a thing that has been brought into the process that needs to be needs to be codified and integrated into the election uh, moving forward. Yeah. And and I guess it's 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 just like the the way that we're talking about these is like, oh, in a sweeping reaction to the fact that Joe Biden won, or at least in, in Georgia, it's even more acute because of the Warnock and 
uh, uh, Ossoff elections as well in January, like this is revenge to that. Mm. And it might be again, like to, to your point, I think like there, there is, there's nothing about uh, 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 Brian Kemp that makes me think, Oh, he's definitely not up to something, (laughs) but uh, 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 there is also a reality that, Hey, uh, some of this stuff did need to get dealt with. Yeah. Um, I, I, that is the thing that I keep coming back to is there are, there's, there's sort of, there's three players in all of this. There's good Republicans, bad Republicans, and good Republicans that conveniently can't see the bad Republicans. There's good Democrats, bad Democrats, and good Democrats who conveniently can't see the bad Democrats. And that combination seems to be throughout all of these processes. Um, H.R. 1, which will probably not be signed into law, that's the Democratic election reform bill that was just yeah. passed recently in the House, will die in the Senate due to filibuster, had good stuff in it. Like, I, I am adamantly opposed to gerrymandering. It was going to basically outlaw that and and just give it a big black eye. Um, it was going to standardize federal election Which, which by the way, by the way, I, I mean, we, we talked about this a little bit on the Wednesday episode with J.D. Durkin, who, who brought that up. That that's a very interesting kind of Supreme Court case waiting to happen, right? Because because yeah. the, the the states the states would certainly not willingly or without a fight give up their ability to draw their own districts. No, and you and you could make a good Supreme Court case out of that. That regardless of whether or not they're corrupt, that it is nonetheless a a legally established. Uh, uh, purview of states, which is, I, I think, where they would probably go with it. That said, the concept of gerrymandering, I do not like at all, and they, they're attempting to deal with that in HR one. Um, there, some, something that I don't think would be constitutionally challenged is it was going to clarify the times and days of federal elections, which is under the purview of the federal government under the Constitution, and would be useful in terms of any states that are trying to confuse voters by putting, you know, County A at a different time than County B, even though County A has more black Democrat voters in it, things like that. So they're going to standardize that. At the same time, though, that bill also was going to do matching matching federal campaign grants to candidates. So if, if you got a if you got a dollar from a small donor a small donor uh, to your campaign, Uncle Sam would match you if not exceed it, uh, which I don't like to begin with, just because I don't. Me being an independent who is not enfranchised into either party, I don't particularly like the idea of the government taking my money and giving it to one of two candidates I'm not wild about. But yeah. I also know that beyond that, as of now, Democrats are much better at getting small donations than Republicans are. Which means that they, somebody in that process went, how can we get federally subsidized money for Democrats that's definitely going to be more than Republicans? Ah, I know. So that was happening too. And again, like I think a and, bunch and that's, of Democrats- That's funny. Yeah. That's funny because the person that's the best on the Republican side of getting small dollar donations is Donald Trump. So yes. it's like, so you would you would really be incentivizing the populist wing of the Republican Party- like, you know, do you want to give Marjorie Taylor Greene an extra three million dollars because she just mm-hmm. raised three million dollars? And it certainly wasn't from Dow. Like, yeah, like there's it's, there's it's not from the, Chevron. They're not giving her cash. It's all small dollars. I, I think the the most charitable version of, of that provision of the bill would be that the federal government would be endeavoring to design a system which favors populists over the establishment. Uh, and. I, I don't want the government picking favorites. I want the government to yeah. be a referee and I want the government to be as far away from that process as possible. Uh, but the the outcome of that would 
absolutely have been supercharging populists, whether they're left wing or right wing. And uh, um, yeah, there were there were there were lots. This is kind of across the board. So um, there's so much gray to it. There's so many different good and bad things happening. And, and the thing that I was just, I kept being struck by was just there are these good provisions where you're like, good call. And then you just at a corner of your eye, you can see this other thing that just marginally it's like, yes, all the stuff is good, but it does push the, it does push things in our favor by about 2%. That seems to be yeah. kind of what politicians want is they want free and fair democracy plus 2% for our team. That's, you know, which I, I guess that's better than like Venezuela, but it's still not ideal and, and something that I'll continue fighting. Well, that's, that's the, it, it, it reminds me of the, uh, you know, sayings uh, and who knows how apocryphal they are, but like, you know, like why, why the Chicago machines manufactured votes. And it was like, well, we only manufacture enough to counter the ones that they're manufacturing right. downstate. Right. You know, yeah. so it, it, there is, there is this, this idea of like, well, we know they're cheating. Mm. So we just have to kind of counter cheat just just a, i mean not a lot just enough to balance the scale so it's so it's uh, even yes uh that idea that we are we are the aggrieved party who is fighting fire with fire is becoming i think more commonplace in american politics and i don't like it uh i think you you ought to you have an obligation if you're a democrat or a republican you i think strengthen your party by calling out its malfeasance like that, because it strengthens your moral superiority when it happens. Right now, where I'm looking as an independent, I think both parties as collective bodies are sociopathic. And a, a good example of this, of all the screaming that the Republicans do about potential election fraud with the Democrats and, and strongly implying that Democrats are just straight up stealing elections through election fraud, all of the screaming that the, the Democrats do about Republicans suppressing voters both of these parties routinely suppress ballots for third parties and independent voters. There are all sorts of, and the, the exact same kind of Rube Goldberg mechanisms that kind like don't quite make it a sham democracy, but make a lot of speed bumps for anything that rocks the system. Like states have, uh, not every state, but a lot of states have sore loser laws, which is to say, if you are a, a Democrat incumbent, uh, and you lose, or if if you if you're running for a, a position as a Democrat or Republican, and you don't win the primary, you're forbidden by law to run with another party. Yeah, which is yeah, attempting to stop them from like, yeah, we, we don't want an Arlen Specter, or we don't want anybody by oh, for, like for the love of God, we don't want a, a Democrat running as a Libertarian or a Republican running as a Libertarian or going green or whatever. Um, there's there's so many onerous burdens that are placed on parties where uh, I could be wrong in this, but I want to say in Massachusetts you are grandfathered in if you had you know, top 50% of the votes, uh, in the last election or something like that. So basically Republicans and Democrats automatically are on every ballot. They don't need to do anything other than just say, this is our candidate. If you're a third party and you want to run, you have to get like 20,000 signatures. And if any of them are wrong or the, the data is incorrect, they're thrown out, which means you really need to get 30,000 because you know that there's going to be a margin of error. So they're both, they're both doing that. And it makes it, I, as an outsider, now look and go, I think you're both lying to me. I think you're both trying to rig the system. Republicans have been more robust at it the last few years. I don't know whether that makes them worse people or just more competent at being crooks. I, I, think, I, think, I think they're just in more state houses. Yeah, <laughs> like, it, I mean, yeah. ultimately, that's that's where you, if you look at it, it's like the Democrats have been really bad at winning uh, governor's mansions. And so, uh, you know, that that means that they are in charge of less. Yes, I, I 
think there's a very good case to be made for that. And I, I, I wish that the party faithful in both parties would step up and call out, which did did happen a little bit here in Georgia, where uh, the the lieutenant governor of Georgia, I, I can't remember their, uh, his name, but he refused to preside as president pro tempore uh, of the Senate. Um, uh, over uh, the no excuse voting age gerrymandering, like he just he wouldn't countenance it, and there was a revolt within the Republican Party that kept that provision knocked out, as as happened with attempts to stop uh, so-called uh, uh, souls to polls. Um, the, the idea that black churches historically in Georgia will go to church and then go vote afterwards, and there were originally uh, provisions of the bill that were not passed that were going to make it illegal to vote on Sundays in an attempt to knock it yeah. out. Well, there were enough Republicans that that called foul on that, and like, good, they should be rewarded when they do that kind of thing, as with the Democrats. Like, if, if there were any Democrats that were... Um, so, in fact, this kind of did happen, although the, 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 the thing that they arrived at was weird. Some of the Democrats cried havoc with this whole federal matching funding thing um, and, and went, hey, wait a minute, tax dollars shouldn't be going to candidates. And the, the compromise that the moderates and the populists came up with was, well, the money will only come from financial settlements with corporations and fees. So even though it's government <laughs> money, it's not tax dollars. And then they, they agreed to do it. And so, all right. But that said, though, uh, like, like when, when somebody raises their hand and says, I am a member of this party and the party's engaging in anti-democratic practices, like props to you if you do that. All right. Any anything else? Any any other uh, uh, interesting tidbits that you found in in either the Georgia or or Texas or any of the other states uh, bills that you investigated? Yeah, I, I'll I'll point out three that I that I don't think got as much attention. The Georgia one's the one everybody's focusing on. Um, we should talk about the water bottle thing very quickly because we alluded yeah, to that. We didn't actually cover what that is. Um, so we've described how it is being portrayed as Republicans are trying to intentionally make these these voting processes onerous and uh, not fun and potentially dangerous in order to stave off poor or minority voters. Uh, the the rule in Georgia is not significantly different than rules in states across the country, which basically say you're forbidden to provide campaign materials or gifts within X feet of, of a, of a polling location. You're, you're not allowed to give out t-shirts. You're not allowed to give out pamphlets. I think that that's a very good idea because, um, in general, you want to have just a safe neutral zone and, uh, yeah. you, you don't want to have people engaging in that. The other, the other thing is that they, um, New York, for example, has a similar law to this, but there's a cap on it. You can pass out food and water, but I think it has to be worth no more than a dollar. What they're trying to safeguard is they don't want people like rocking up to a polling precinct with a really kicking food truck and basically buy votes. So they're trying to stop that, right? Uh, Georgia doesn't have that dollar limit. What Georgia basically said was um, you can't have food or water or refreshments passed out within 125 feet of a polling precinct or 25 feet of a line. Now that means that you're fully empowered to have a, a table passing out water bottles in the parking lot as people are coming in. You could yeah. set up a self-serving cooler the way you have at soccer games. You can also go to the polling precinct and say, there's a bunch of thirsty people in line. We would like to donate this water to you. Will you as a neutral player who's not wearing a campaign t-shirt, please pass these bottles of water out. So I, I think that that was a bit, I, I can, it, it's possible that, that it's, it's trying, it, it's possible they're trying to be onerous, but I, I see reasons for it. And, I, and a counter position that stands up in my mind is what if there is a line full of older black ladies and they are hot and they are sweaty and, uh, and, uh, proud boys rocks up and proud boys is like making hard eye contact with all of these people while passing out bottles of water. 
I don't know what Proud Boy's intentions are right there, but it wouldn't surprise me if the ladies in line felt like they were under threat of violence and felt suppressed. And so you're, you need to have some kind of framework for that. So I thought that that was very overstated. Some of the other interesting things that I found, um, re Republicans in general try to make it hard for college students to vote. So a, I didn't get into voter ID laws. I might do an episode on that in the future. If Republicans really want to make good faith arguments about the veracity of voter ID and how they're not trying to freeze people out, the best thing they could do is allow college IDs to work as voter ID because there are lots of states that go out of their way to try and stop that. New Hampshire is an example of that. Of New Hampshire, one of, one of the laws, I don't know if it's been passed yet or whether they're just debating it, but uh, it has like some thing of like you have to be a resident for like a year and a half if you're a college student or something like that. But they're, they're intentionally trying to stop college students from screwing up their politics. And the deal is like, I too find college students irritating in the democratic process, <laughs> but if, if you're 18, you're an American citizen, whether you're irritating or shrill or not really has nothing, I should say, has absolutely nothing to do with your potency as a voter. So if you are there for whatever, uh, the, the, um, uh, time period necessary to gain residency, if you're there, you're there, that's it. Like you, there, yeah. if, if anybody carving you out, that's anti-democratic and some States are doing that. Uh, Texas, I find interesting because Texas has raised this alarm on voter fraud uh, and how they really need to tighten it. And I look at that and go, Republicans have been running the government in Texas for 20 years. So if anybody's doing voter fraud, it's them. And if, if there is voter fraud and they're not doing it, then why haven't they previously done? I, I don't know that sent up red flags for me of this does look like a pretext to just squeeze things. Um, uh, in Texas, like in particular, some of the counties, uh, I think at Houston, some of the polling precincts had run 24 hour precincts during the election to let, you know, poor people come vote. And the state clarified, no, 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 no. We're going to put a cap. You can only have precincts open from X to Y. And I, I looked at that and went, okay, there's, there's something to be said for standardizing times so that people don't get confused. But if you've got specific urban locations that are saying, we're going to have, we're going to find volunteers to run this 24 seven to make sure everybody gets to vote. And the state says we legally forbid you to do it. That strikes me as malfeasance. So there's lots of things like that. They're all over, um, the Brennan center, which I, I question quite how neutral they are. I think that they are a lot more, um, alarmed and threat focused than I am. They believe that a proliferation of voter suppression bills have come across the country and they believe that it is in the wake of uh, Trump losing. Uh, but, those are the ones that stand out to me. Yeah. All right. Final question. Do you believe based on your research that the Georgia voting bill makes as the president deemed it Jim Crow, uh, uh small and this is indeed Jim Eagle. No, I do not. Uh, I think that it had provisions in it. Like I mentioned earlier, that age gerrymandering and knocking out Sunday voting, there were provisions in that that were straight up voter suppression that didn't make it into the bill. Racial, racial, racially based voter suppression. Yes, yes. There might still be some minor things in the bill. It wouldn't surprise me at all if there were minor things in the bill. Conflating it with Jim Crow is a great exaggeration. And I have to take aim at Joe Biden, who... I think is far better temperamentally than Donald Trump, who I railed against for four years. But Biden went and did a press conference where he said, it's sick, it's sick, it's anti-American. They're closing polls at five o'clock so that working people can't go vote. They won't pass out water. The, the, the first part of that is just 
absolutely not true. It's completely unfounded. Um, Georgia, the elections go from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. That's everywhere in Georgia. That's every voting precinct. Um, previously, uh, they they had um, early voting, and the the law clarified that early voting was not business hours, but is now from nine to five because there were rural precincts that had just done half days. So basically it expanded the hours that everybody can vote. And it said on top of that, if you want to do voting in your precinct from seven to seven, you can, you just have to have at least from nine to five. So no hours were cut whatsoever. Um, that is nonsense. And, and I, 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 people are kind of defensive of Biden where they're like, well, but he didn't know that he was shooting from the hip. And I'm like, so, so what you're telling me is that the president of the United States said something incredibly demonizing and incredibly inflammatory that hurts the fabric of the American psyche based off of shooting from the hip. I just spent four years criticizing Donald Trump <laughs> for doing that exact same thing, and I'm going to criticize Biden for doing it. It's not any better that President Grandpa is making up demonizing bullshit than, than it was when Trump was. Like, like call out the action. And and so, no, I, I disagree with Biden on that, and I, I, I think he is... Uh, hurt he's hurt his credibility a bit with me in doing that then i don't know how much bigger a crow can be than an eagle like <laughs> are they i mean i guess an eagle i i guess it was larger but i don't know i mean it always looks bigger when it's like on the top of a flag or something like that or I in just, a stock it, video I, it, 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 like i so much like biden's temperament better than trump like i think that he is so much more fit for office than trump was that it just it personally bothers me so much that he's that he will engage in baseless exacerbatory histrionics that really disturbed me when he did that because i was like no part of the promise you made was not engaging in that crap that, i mean but trump was gonna do that a, and you were it gonna wasn't be a the, real promise that's yeah. like what you i mean that's like some first date promises those that's, politicians they always get me i always <laughs> this guy this guy's gonna be a prince this this time around is gonna be different this is going to be different. No, I'm definitely going to step on this rake. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> Heaton. Uh, uh, now, now here's, here's the thing. I'm sure a lot of people who, who are listening, cause we've, you, you've been on this show uh, a million times and I've been on your show uh, a bunch of times. Uh, you may or may not be a patron of the political orphanage. I'm going to encourage you to become a patron of the political orphanage because uh, Heaton dumped all of his notes on this in a patron only episode. So, uh, head on over there and, and get the real deep dive on this. Cause we really only skim the kind of top line here in this interview, but, but go check that out because I think it is an absolute must listen. If you have read a lot on this particular subject and, and just want a, a, a deeper point of view on it. That's very kind of you. I appreciate that. I will direct your listeners to patreon.com slash Andrew Heaton. And note that much like my friend and ally, Justin Robert Young, I do a bonus episode on my program every week. So if you've been a semi-regular or regular listener of the Political Orphanage, know that there's an entire year-long backlog of ex extra episodes that you could check out by going there. Indeed. Heaton, thank you so much. You're actually settling in just like uh, I am, but you're settling in in, in Tulsa, right? That's right. That's the plan is we're both going to become mayors of our respective towns. And, uh, <laughs> and then, then we're going to race. To <laughs> then race. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, hey, I got to go. But Justin, it's been fun. Absolutely. See you later, Heaton. And that'll wrap it up for us today. 
The Politics, Politics, Politics program is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young. This episode was edited by Brett Stewart. If you want to thank our guest for taking time out of his day to be on this program, you don't even got to remember his Twitter account. You just go on over to px3guest.com and uh, just say, hey, man, great job. Great job on the show. If you want to email the show, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. You can hit up our Twitter, px3tweets. Our Twitch is px3live.com. Our newsletter is px3newsletter.com. You can share this podcast at px3podcast.com and support the show by buying our merch at politicsmerch.com. If you would like to support us, you can do so on PayPal in a one-time donation fashion, paypal.me slash payjury. Same for Cash App, PX3Cash, and Venmo. Oh, yes. Venmo. Islander Steve. He gave me $5 on Venmo. He said, help keeping independent journalism alive. Hey, thanks, Islander Steve. Be like Islander Steve. Go to Venmo, Justin-Young-20. That's where you need to be. Remember, Venmo money isn't real. Might as well give it to me. If you would like to send me a physical check or anything in the mail, new P.O. Box, P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, that is P.O. Box 153184. Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, if you want to get bonus content, if you want to get that extra show on Monday, if you want to get that extra show on Thursday, that's 104 bonus episodes a year. You go to TakePoliticsSeriously.com, you sign up at the $3 level. But if you want to get your name read at the end of the show, well, you got to sign up for that Titanic $10 tier, including these smart people. Headphones, Neil, Dr. G, the other half of Whiskey Wednesday, Idris, the government unfiltered podcast, 100 Mile Runner, Berkeley Steven, Kathy Mag, Zombie Doc, D, really? Methuselah, Honeythuckle. The Jen, Middle-Aged Mike, Cujo.com, Junkie, Calamity, Zap, D-Laser, Lord Scale, De Quince, and Neely Third, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Utah, Jimmy, Montana, appraisers are awesome. Snuffies, off Route 44. Miranda Janelle, Jenny, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Brad, Charles, Archie, David, Olin, and Angela, DL, Just Another Pilot, Frozen Summers, and Andrew. Oh, along with Jay Pink. If you would like to join their ranks one more time, it is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. And that's it for the week. I hope you guys have a great weekend. Uh, uh, Weather continues to get nicer and nicer despite everything that's happening with our government uh i know a lot of you guys are out there getting vaccinated if you are getting vaccinated use this weekend just to set up uh 
a little, move an inch forward back into your old life. You know, if you haven't left your house, get out of your house. If you left your house, but, but you only ever ate outside, maybe try eating inside. Maybe go see a movie. Go to a ball game. I think that eventually, this is how we rebuild. These are the brick by brick by brick that we rebuild our old society. So I would encourage you guys to go do that. Till next time. This is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more talk about politics. But this is the only show that talks about how Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.